This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. You're listening to episode 147. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me, shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the Microcap message. I got got a long opening for you guys today, so bear with me. I got a couple things to announce and everything like that. But uh, I I really would like to start off by saying, whew, glad that's over. Yes, I'm talking about the election. And as Forrest Gump would say, that's all I have to say about that. So we just wrapped up the SNN Network Australia virtual event. Thank you, everyone who registered, attended, and participated in our first event highlighting our friends down under. The feedback has been incredible, and I'm already stoked for the next Australia event. Uh, If you missed any of the keynotes, educational panels, or company webcasts, they will all be available on the SNN Network YouTube channel, which is www.youtube.com slash SNNWire. Thank you again. Speaking of virtual events... As if you needed another one. Well, at least uh, this one is next year. Uh, In all seriousness, I'm really excited to announce the next virtual event from SNN Network. Drumroll, please. The SNN Network Canada virtual event, January 6th and 7th, 2021. With lead sponsor, Small Cap Discoveries, we are proud to present this upcoming event. SNN Network and Small Cap Discoveries, one of the leading Canadian small micro and nano cap newsletters, have teamed up to highlight our neighbors to the north, Canada. Paul Andriola and his team at Small Cap Discoveries are great at discovering the undiscovered Canadian small micro and nano cap public companies. Between SNN's investor audience and Small Cap Discoveries' loyal and engaged newsletter following, we have joined forces to provide a platform for investors to learn about the highest quality public small micro and nano cap companies listed on Canadian exchanges as well as hear from fund managers, newsletter writers, and financial influencers with experience and expertise investing in these Canadian assets. On this very podcast, I've had on numerous guests to discuss investing in Canada. So I've seen and heard firsthand how small micro and nano cap investors have been finding value accretive investments in Canada. And we decided to host an event that encapsulates the opportunities available on the TSX, TSX Venture, and CSE public markets. Register now on Canada.SNN.Network to join us for an incredible microcap event to kick off 2021. Again, that's Canada.SNN.Network. Sounds like fun, eh, right? Uh, <laughs> so, you think announcing a new virtual event wasn't exciting enough? 
Let me clue you into this week's lineup of episodes from the SM Podcast Network. Starting with In the Market Trenches with Gary Reby and Eric Fure, our hosts welcome their good friend and colleague, Eric Nelson, CIO and founder of Abe Capital Management. Eric and his firm look at some pretty weird investing opportunities. And as Eric states in this episode, I always choose the middle seat. Yes, this is a perfect formula for an awesome In the Market trenches episode. Uh, I, I really enjoyed putting this one together. So uh, check out this episode on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Podbean at inthemarkettrenches.podbean.com. And for the next episode of Avoiding the Crowd with Maj Don, we welcome Tobias Carlisle on the show. Uh, Toby has been making the rounds with the launch of the small microcap ETF. And since Maj was a guest on Tobias' popular podcast, Acquire's Podcast, uh, he turns the mic around to ask Toby a few questions. This is a really informative episode. They get into a bunch of different stories and talking about invest. I mean, it's it's a classic. So go and check this out on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or Podbean at avoidingthecrowd.podbean.com. And we also have a very fun episode in store for you on the Investors Roundtable. This week's topic is streaming services and the future of media. I'm going to tell you right now, this lineup is pretty stacked. I, I think the combined followership on Twitter is the most we've had thus far. So do not miss this episode. Everybody on here, you definitely will recognize and should get pretty fired up for. So I figure if you, and, and honestly, I figure if you don't get anything actionable from an investing perspective from this episode, you know, maybe you'll hear about a couple new shows or movies that uh, you can go and binge. So uh, you can watch this episode on the SNN Network YouTube channel at www.com youtube.com slash wire. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast, I'm sharing with you the Planet Microcap Podcast Australia Virtual Edition panel from this week's SNN Network Australia Virtual Event. We have a stack lineup here too. Tony Hansen, Matt Joss, Michael Liu, and Connor Haley. Tony and Matt are flying the Aussie flag for us. Uh, Michael is playing the role of North American investor looking abroad. And Connor wrote a pretty epic report called The Makings of a Multibagger, which showcases how Australia made up 5.1% of the total investable universe and yet 11.5% of the 104 best performing stocks over the last five years that were all listed on the ASX. Let that sink in while you're listening to these brilliant people. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 147 of the Planet Microcap Podcast. And please enjoy the Planet Microcap Podcast Australia Virtual Edition. Welcome, everybody, to the Planet Microcap Podcast, Australia Virtual Edition. Uh, this is our, our podcast panel that we're doing on at the SNN Network Australia Virtual Event. And I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and, and thank you all for watching today. This is this should be a lot of fun, and, and uh, we should come away with this with some pretty actionable information, uh, or not. This could just be, you know, a general talk about the Melbourne Cup. I'm, I just learned about this last week, so I, I feel like we got to learn a little bit more about the most famous horse race out there, or at least in Australia. But anyways, I digress. Uh, I'd love to introduce our, our panel joining me today. Uh, going, uh, let's go, I'm going to go clockwise. 
uh, we're going to start with the Australians and get to then the, uh, the Americans, you know, on this panel. So uh, starting with Matt Joss from Maven Funds Management. Matt, thank you for joining me today. Thanks very much, Bobby. Good to chat. Uh, good to have you. Uh, we got Tony Hansen from EGP Capital. Tony, what's shaking? How are you going, uh, Bobby? It's good to be back on your show. Uh, absolutely, good on you. I, I, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to get all the the the, the, <laughs> the Aussie phrases down. I'm saying what shake it. I don't know what's gotten into me today, but I'm a, we'll, we'll figure we'll figure it out at some point. But uh, also joining us right now is uh, Michael Liu from Intelligent Fanatics Capital Management. Michael, what's going on? Uh, not much. Thanks for having me, Bobby. It's great to have you on, man. Um, and also joining us at some point will be uh, Connor Haley from Alter Fox Capital. And uh, he, he put out a, a very fascinating report uh, that he'll tell you a little bit more about. But before we get there, you know, I, I want to I've done an interview with each of the individuals on this panel before uh, on the Planet Microcap podcast individually. So before we get into, you know, everything, all things ASX Australia, I thought it'd be fun to, to give everybody's uh, to give an update on everybody's background and investing philosophy. So I'm going to go count or, or we'll go clockwise again. So, Matt, let's start with you, man. Yeah, cool. Um so I guess a very quick overview. I got into investing when I was super young, um, you know, reading paper business, et cetera, as a teenager, but, and then started buying stocks when I was 18, but didn't really have any clue what I was doing for a long time. Um, and then in like early, mid-20s, got into value investing, Buffett and all that stuff, um, kind of took over my life, uh, moved, kind of decided to do it full-time around then, moved from Copenhagen where I was working at the time, down to Australia, joined uh, Motley Fool as a research analyst for a service called Motley Fool Pro there, and um, and really wanted to join them to learn about more growth investing, I guess, and coming from like a value investing background and, and trying to apply kind of David Gardner's principles of investing and in, um, kind of big, huge winners and um, investing in the future and that kind of thing. And yeah, fortunate enough to learn a, a bit of that while I was there um, and then left Motley Fool, I guess, coming up to two years ago now um, to launch, um, I ended up launching my own funds. I launched Maven Funds just a few months ago. And uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my background quickly and just trying to find, I guess, the big dominant businesses of tomorrow while they're still small. So as, as early as we can get them, basically. Finding the big dominant businesses of tomorrow today. You know, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That'll be the catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't distilled it down. There you go. That's it, that's it, Bobby. I'll get you to write uh, my stuff. Oh man, wow! I, I think we should copyright that right now. You know, I mean, before before yeah. you know, let's be careful not to say that we love compounders. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah, might, yeah, yeah. We might we might get we might get into trouble. At, yeah. At some before point, anyone but. locks it down. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so, uh, Tony, let, let's get your background for everybody as well as your investing philosophy. So much like um, much like what Matt just said, I. I, I Started investing very young. Um, came to um, you know, came early to the Buffett and Munger school of sort of value investing, and in much the same way as almost everyone does, you know, started off looking for those small, easy gains in sort of value stocks. And then as the as the capital that you manage grows and grows, it becomes harder to do anything meaningful uh, in that space. So you sort of drift towards. Um, yeah, we, we won't use the uh, the word that we're not allowed to use anymore. Um, but uh, you know, stocks that can compound their earnings for for a long time. As a matter C of word. Um, <laughs> the C word, yeah, the new C word. But, um, but, and, and so that's sort of, you know, I'd say that that's the focus of what we what we try to do now. But uh, with an overlay, that my fund's still small enough that occasionally we'll. Um, 
um, you know, you to use cricketing terminology, which you guys won't understand, we'll hit singles uh, from time to time. But, um, you know, what we're really looking for is the sixes, um, you know, those, those big, big winners. Um, and that, that's that's how, how things have sort of changed over time. I'll tell you, I, I got I got the reference, you know, singles. Baseball, we got singles, you know. I don't know if we get sixes or sevens in baseball. There might no, be sixes fours. or sevens. Fours, no, yeah, we got fours. fours as good as you can do. Okay. Uh, all right. you, 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 you hit fours in uh, in cricket as well. But, um, so I'll take a four when I can get one as well. That's right. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's good. All right. So then, Michael, close us out real quick. You know, what what's your background in your investing philosophy? Sure. So, um, I mean, exactly the same as Tony and Matt. I started uh, investing when I was about 13 and then a couple of years later discovered microcaps and, you know, did all the cool microcap stuff like follow everyone on Twitter, join microcap club, get to know, you know, go to conferences where I got to know Bobby first. Um, and then uh, I'm just finishing up uh, college right now at Rutgers University and also working at a small fund um, IFCM. And then, uh, in terms of investing philosophy, I, I tend to look for, you know, great businesses, but with a micro cap, you can never be sure if you're looking at a great business, at least in the first early stages, I feel like. So I tend to look for like misunderstood situations and misunderstood in terms of, uh, maybe having the potential to become a great business or, you know, a company that can grow at 20% or 30% forever. Um, and those usually involve, you know, more special situation types um, uh, with, you know, maybe a business transition, something changing with the business model. And then that combined with a good management team is usually a, a good recipe I found to find a successful microcap um, that can, you know, become a, a great company like we've been talking about. Finding the dominant businesses of tomorrow today. I think that maybe I should rename that 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 this the panel. But that I really that you know I, I really messed up. Just you know, just Planet Microcap Aussie Virtual Edition. We should make it. You know, find, Matt, you have the other phrase: the finding finding the monsters before, or or yeah. maybe you say yeah, the yeah, yeah. finding the monsters as monsterlings or something. I don't know. That's really <laughs> dumb. That is really dumb. But I'll, I'll be right. I, Bobby's, I said it. Bobby's got it. <laughs> It's terrible. But uh, so let's dig in. You know, we're, we're the, the main point of today's panel is is my audience is primarily a North American audience, global, you know, global here and there, but but primarily North American. And, you know, this being an Australia focused event, you know, I really want to talk about what's so intriguing about the ASX, you know, debunking some myths, you know, just misconceptions, talking about experiences. So the the panel joining us right now are, are three of the best to do it. And so I'm going to throw it first to Michael because Michael is our, our North American representative uh, on this panel today. So Mike, tell me real quick, you know, for you, what what's so intriguing about the ASX and Australian listed companies? I mean, from, from a North American perspective, uh, you know, excluding present company, uh, most people ignore anything that's not North American, right? Like maybe some people dabble in Canadian microcaps, but very few people are looking at Australian companies. Most people probably don't even know where to get filings for Australian companies. Um, and that goes for, you know, most international markets because it's just not necessary because the US and the, um, you know, Canadian exchanges account for, you know, 10,000, 10, 20,000 microcaps. You don't really need to go anywhere else. But 
because nobody's looking at these little niches, um, especially something like Australia, where there's a lot of promising companies, uh, there's there's a lot of opportunity if you go there as a skilled researcher. Um, and then more specifically with why Australia, I think is probably uh, one of the better or probably the best international market. Uh, I mean, it, it speaks, in, for, first of all, the main language is English, so you can you know get a pretty firm hold on it, but also there's, um a lot of a lot more uh help a lot more industries that are more interesting at least to me like technology companies healthcare companies um because you know it's it's not a large place geographically so you know you have to do something more ip based in order to to make money and and if you just look historically healthcare and technology stocks have done really well, especially in the last year. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a market nobody looks at, but it, it has a lot of promising companies. And if you look at the most successful companies that, uh, for example, Connor has profiled in his presentation, a lot of them come from Australia. And a lot of them come from these industries that are specifically represented in Australia more. Right. Yeah. Like ten, I, I believe I have a note that it's 10 of the top 40 that he had in there were Australian listed. And, and you know, just to, to really comment real quick on the fact that, you know, it is it is an English speaking country, despite the fact a few uh, of my friends down there, I have needed a translator. But that, you know, look, that's that's really besides the point. You know, so so Tony and Matt, I mean, it, it, what what. I'd love to hear your comment too, because I, I, I know Australia's tends to be known as a, a very similar with Canada, that it's mining heavy, right? A lot of mining stocks and, and that you'll probably affirm that today because uh, it's the case, but you know, for you guys, you guys both don't tend to not focus in that area. So, you know, what, what's still so intriguing to you about the ASX, despite it being a smaller um, pick of the litter if, if you're looking at non-mining uh, investment opportunities. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Matt first because he has it off mute right now. So I'll go to Matt first <laughs> and then we'll go to Tony. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think for me, I'd agree kind of it's, um, I think it, I think it's, I kind of think of it like the wild west. I think Australia, like it just feels like there's companies go public so much earlier and um, it's, there is like good rule of law and stuff, but there is also just a lot of promotions, I guess, like a lot of stock pumps and that kind of thing. And you just have just this sea of small companies. So you have a lot of, I think basically the speculative like miners, there's a lot of speculative miners. You just throw those, I throw those out. Um, it's like 40% of the index, but I think it kind of bleeds over to a lot of what other companies do. And I think it just means that people have been able to kind of gamble with the stock market and there's enough winners there that they kind of translate that over to other uh, industries. So I like at tech a lot um, and you see it a lot with with small tech companies um, where they kind of get these valuations, although they're, um, you know, Zoom when <laughs> they're not. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's what's most interesting to me. I just think it's, um, as Michael was saying, like a place where you can invest the time to research and, and actually have an edge because in that sub, say 100, 200 million market cap, there's not that much coverage. Um, often there won't even be broker coverage, a lot of these companies. Or alternatively, maybe there's too much and you have like every forum and Facebook group chatting about the companies and like bidding them up to crazy, you know, levels. Um, I guess they start getting pretty big at pretty fast. I've seen things get to like a billion dollar market cap, but are just nothing with no revenue. Um, so that's not as common. I don't think in um, the States, I guess, I'm, I'm not, you know, not investing there, but I guess it's more like, um, yeah, over the counter type behavior, but in a like more um, 
premium like listed on the asx basically so yeah that's that's what i like about it it's just everything's a bit wilder you can do more research meeting with the management um you have to um kiss a lot of frogs i guess you have to figure out like you have to look turn over a lot of rocks to find the the few gems but i think the payoffs can be can be as you you know as that research from connor pointed out they've had quite a few gems come out of it well i gotta say you know despite the asx you know as you said is the wild wild west you know the compliance rules are really quite i i'd say good you know especially when it comes to putting out news and information like you have to put everything out through you have to get asx approval first and then it goes i mean i i'm just that's just unheard of in in the states you have to put out get approval by you know sec or cdar before <laughs> before you or you know you you can put out anything so i find that that's pretty interesting and intriguing but you know tony real quick you can answer what I just said and or, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what what's so intriguing about the ASX to you. What you said about uh, compliance has really improved in the last few years. A, a few, over the last probably two or three years ago, there was a run of sort of um, companies that did, did some um, made announcements that were um, you know, suspicious or you know, announced partnerships as major big bang. Um, things and so the ASX has become very, very particular about about that, almost to the point of being too difficult. You know, anyone um, making uh, claims you know, of um, sanitization claims against COVID, for example, has basically been put through the ringer over the last six months. And even if they've got legitimate um, um, evidence of, uh, of the claims they're trying to make, the ASX really has made it hard for those those types of companies. So they may have gone a little bit too far the other way, if anything, in some regards. But you know, there are—you can understand why because there are so many. Well, the benefits of, of getting spurious announcements out there can be, you know, in terms of market cap, as we've said, um, you know, Australian story stocks can tend to run to pretty crazy prices. So for stock promoters, um, there's a real opportunity there to create wealth for yourself. But as far as what you were saying about the ASX, it, it, it is. Australian, you know, we've only got 25 or 6 million people uh, down here, so it's a small market. So a, a great deal of businesses, particularly in the tech and biotech space, tend to sort of think globally from the outset. Um, you don't need to, if you're in North America and you create a, um, you know, a tech business that, that works, you don't need to think about what, um, what you might need to do internationally to make that business successful. It just, um, the, the market's enormous. So if you're successful, you're going to be enormously successful. Whereas, you know, if you capture the Australian market, you look at, it's not an Australian business, but it's ASX listed, a business like Xero. Xero is a, um, you know, um, an accounting software effectively. They were built almost from the outset to be able to go uh, global um, and, and to deal with all of the major, um, certainly the major English speaking global markets. Um, so, so that's one thing that I think Australian businesses tend to do quite well um, is to think globally from from the outset and um, you know, so that's one of the reasons why I think we probably produce you know, there's a number of things that Australia does that are at a um, yeah we, we're at a sporting level and a gambling level and a, you know there's a few things where we punch above our weight um, and, and, and um, you know, I think business-wise we probably do the same well, I, that you you actually bring up a great point because this is something we talked about on our prep call, and that's just getting to understand the Australian culture a bit well, especially in terms of the small micro nano cap ecosystem. You know, as a lot of people, hopefully everybody watching on here or may not know, but it's really one of the best 
ecosystems for small micro nano cap investing. I mean, it's very active markets, a lot of volatility, a lot of liquidity. You know, so uh, Tony, Matt, whoever wants to go first here, can let, let's try and understand a little bit better about why it's such a fertile jurisdiction for for small micro nano cap investing you know what what about being australian australian culture lends itself to that uh right, let's go back to tony tony we'll go you go first well we, we talked about the, the gambling culture and i'm not sure if you've heard this term but australia is referred to it certainly internally as the lucky country um you know we obviously have a huge mineral resource down here and we've always sort of um, seemed to sort of fumble from one lucky thing to another. We went uh, until until COVID came along. We went uh, what was it? it? Must have been 28 years, I think, without a recession down here. So yeah, we had a, a lot of um, you know a lot of things. You know, every every time something looks like it's about to go wrong with the Australian economy, something comes along. So the Australian economy was struggling along a few years ago, and along came the Chinese mineral boom, and we've just been riding that way for the last 10 or 15 years. So, but as far as that goes, that, that lucky country um, mantra is that uh, I think Australians um, have a, a a culture of sort of thinking, of expecting success, I guess. And so, you know, we probably are um, you know, less, we certainly take chances, I think, probably more on average than, than other people. So we, we talked in the, in, the, um, in the session before this about the gambling culture and um, Australian gambling losses per capita. This is not a good thing, of course. It's a terrible thing, but uh, world leading by so far, it's not funny. And I think there's a real um, punters culture here, a have a go culture, which um, you know, is, not, is not the right way to invest. Um, you know, certainly, almost everyone I know that starts off at, um, investing in small caps is sort of looking to make you know, quick money uh, rather than sort of understanding the fundament of the business. So, but um, you know. As a consequence of that, there's what Matt referred to earlier, this this um, group of stock promoters and so on that sort of ride that. And, and, but one of, the, one of the outcomes of that is that too many companies come to market and um, you know probably a little bit too early. But if you're willing to spend the time and do the work, what, what I like to look for is that two or three years after, I look for broken IPOs is one of my favorite things to look for, is that you know, a company that's come to market and might have IPO'd at 50 cents and then, um, that's, that's one thing about our, our stock prices down here is that we use a lot um, higher um, stock numbers. So we tend to have um, what you would call uh, penny stocks down there. But, you know, almost everything's a penny stock in Australia. They're almost all sub $1, certainly at the small cap end, a lot of them anyway. And, and so you have a stock that might have IPO'd at 50 cents three years later, it's trading at five cents. But underlying that, uh, they might have missed pers prospectus forecasts, but they've actually built a real business underneath them. But everyone's lost faith in the business. And so that's the time when, when it really uh, gives a, the, the uh, fundamental investor the opportunity to come along and say, yeah, these guys, they, they might not have achieved what they were targeting at, at prospectus, but they've actually built a real business here. And now you can buy this thing quite cheaply. Got it. And Matt, what would you like to add on to, to uh, what Tony Yeah, I think Tony summed it up pretty well. I was stunned because I'm from New Zealand originally. I was stunned by like the gambling, the difference in the culture because it's obviously so similar in every way. But um, we have this thing called Kino, which is like, you just it's like something that comes on TV and it's like 20 numbers come up and you bet on what numbers are there. And in New Zealand, that happens once a week on like a Wednesday night. And in Australia, I was at a pub and it was going on. It's like, oh, is it that time? And it's like, it happens every three minutes, like around the clock. Um, so it's just like, yeah, a very different mentality. But I think it spills over very positively, as Tony's talking about, to 
like that have a go attitude. And I think maybe something even Kiwis can learn is just being um, kind of backing yourself and um, yeah, being a bit more aggressive about things. I think Kiwis tend to be a bit more conservative. And I think that risk-taking culture definitely flows through as negatives and positives, but definitely a lot of positives for like the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and Motley Fool, we kind of just said that Australia was the only place like more American than America in some ways in that regards. Like it just felt like um, kind of like the, yeah, I don't know. It embraces a lot of similar traits. Um, but in terms of investing in the market, the other thing I love, I just kind of see it like listed venture capital, to be honest. Like it's like very close to how a VC world works with more disclosure. So and more liquidity. So I don't know, I, I, I love it. I wouldn't do or be anywhere else. Because um, you kind of got these really tiny, some of them are pre-revenue, which I don't really touch, but some, you know, very early in their journey, you can invest in them. But then you have daily liquidity, right? Whereas a VC fund doesn't. Um, you haven't, you can never miss it, right? Like you can always buy into it. Whereas at VC, it's all about who you know and when you get in. Um, and then you have reported financials like quarterly, if they're, if they're burning cash um, or, or half yearly at least. And, you know, there is a fair bit of, regulatory compliance that needs to go into that and not all of them follow it and sometimes they get found out and in trouble and whatever else but um, yeah that's all part of it that's what interests me is just being able to get in super early for companies that you just can't get elsewhere i think it's um yeah it's one of the big advantages awesome and and i'm sure everybody noticed that uh came <laughs> uh connor just joined us uh, during matt's uh, matt's answer just now so uh connor thank you for joining us really appreciate from alta fox capital Thank you. Apologies for being late. Crazy earnings season, mantra calls. Sorry. All good. All good, man. Well, here, real quick, let's get your, your quick background for everybody who may not know the Connor Haley AltaFox story, as well as your investing philosophy. Sure. So I run AltaFox Capital out of Fort Worth, Texas. We're a long, short-based uh, fund. We try to identify high quality companies early in their growth cycle. We take a global view. So we'll invest anywhere, including Australia, where we have invested occasionally in the past. Um, uh, our philosophy is, is really do a lot of deep fundamental work, understand normalized earnings and free cash flow three to five years out and uh, looking for the highest quality businesses um, early in the growth cycle that we can find. Very good. So I'm going to come right back to you, Connor, because the main reason I invited Connor on our panel today is that his crew of interns, including himself, I'm sure he did a little bit of the work on here, you know, uh, is uh, they, they did a, a project over the summer called the makings of a multibagger and analysis of the best performing stocks of the past five years. And sure enough, 10 of the top 40 uh, best performing stocks over the past five years were listed on the ASX. So Connor, I'd love to get your comment on when you found out about those results and what that meant to you. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. So if you look at our, if you look at the investable universe that we screened for, with the exception of the total shareholder return category, right, it gives you a sense of like the baseline of companies. And so on that metric, Australia represented 5.1% of all the companies in the investable universe on the metrics we looked at. However, once you throw in the total shareholder return category, uh, sort of Australia represented 11.5% of the results. So they were over twice as represented as they otherwise, you know, you would have guessed from, uh, you know, a performance perspective, which certainly suggests that Australia, at least over the last five years, has been a very fer fertile hunting ground for multi-baggers uh, in relation to, sort of relative to other uh, countries around the globe, which is pretty interesting, right? I mean, I think uh, what occasionally we found about Australia, which I think makes it a really fascinating market. And we're by no means sort of experts specifically in Australia, but it's interesting because, you know, when I look for micro caps, I often look for niche markets 
right? Where there's some uh, local player that dominates, right? And if you look at Australia, I mean, it's it's kind of a niche market in and of itself. It's it's you know it's not a small uh, you know country, uh, but at the same time, um, it is very geographically uh, secluded, right? It has these ties to China, but th- there are elements of being a, a highly localized market, uh, just given the different ge- you know geographic profile of Australia versus you know an interconnected Western Europe, for example. Um, or even the U.S., which is obviously much larger and has very, you know, different sort of competitive dynamics. And so it is sort of its own little special market, um, which which often uh, leads to interesting companies and, and sort of competitive positions. Yeah, you know, I wanted to get Michael's comment on this, too, because, you know, as somebody who's been digging around and 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 really looking at this niche for the last couple of years, I'd say, right, Mike, um, you know, it, it, is, it, were any of these findings surprising to you at all? Because I mean, look, you've been, you, you've been looking around there, you know, and so it's, it's, it's still quite fascinating to see those results like on paper right there. Uh, some of the findings that Connor had. Well, yeah. So to be honest, when I, I started looking at more like geographical uh, or international companies, like, a year or two ago. And, you know, there's not a lot of choices because um, I speak some Chinese, but the Chinese markets are, are not investable. So it's mainly the UK and Australia that you can really look at. And I, at first I was looking at both. And then, um, you know, I did some like, you know, you look at the best performers in each country and you see like, you know, what's, uh, how did these best performers get there? And then you try to find that earlier. And in the UK, while there were some, they were all kind of not stuff that you would invest in, at least, at least in my opinion, like roll-ups, um, sort of weird industries, valuation, a lot of multiple expansions. So the best performers there just didn't, at least in a very broad sense, I didn't feel like uh, that market was as great. But in Australia, you know, you there were a lot of um, very successful companies that I found and I sort of looked at their trajectories and I was like, yeah, this is something that seems really cool and that would, you know, at least I would hope I would have invested in in the early stages. So yeah, it, just in Australia, like I said before, like there's also this higher prevalence of um, healthcare companies and more like IP-based uh, tech companies. And those are also industries that I really like. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a special market. I, I'm not sure why, like, you know, Tony and Matt, I guess, speculated as to, uh, you know, the, the cultural differences that could cause that. But yeah, for some reason, there's just a lot of great companies that seem to come out of Australia and, you know, don't really want to philosophize about it, about it too much. So just kind of leave it at that. Don't worry. We're about to philosophize a little more. Here we go with this question. So, uh, well, cause, cause the thing is, is like, we have to ask that question. It's like, all right, well, well, why, you know, why, why are there so many of these great companies that just go completely undiscovered at least by not by Australians or, or maybe other investors, but by a good amount of North American retail investors or institutions, you know, so there must, or maybe not, but I would assume there must be some misconceptions and myths about um, ASX or the ASX or ASX listed companies. So, I mean, Tony, Matt, can you, maybe, maybe we can help us out and try and uh, debunk some of these or find out what they are and then we'll debunk them. Well, I think one of the, one of the reasons would, would, would come back to, um, we have a very good education system here. We don't have all of the, you know, America obviously has probably you know, six or seven of the top 10 universities in the world, but Australia represents, we've got 25 million people here in a world of seven and a half billion um, 
or thereabouts. So we're about one third of 1% of the um, global population effectively. Um, very wealthy on a per capita basis. We're about the 13th largest economy in the world. But I, I suspect I haven't looked at the top the top 100 league tables for universities, but I suspect we probably have five or six in the top 100, which when you think about representing three, um, one third of 1% of the global population to have five or six universities. So we have quite a good education um, system here. Obviously a, um, you know, a successful economy, good rule of law and all of those things and an entrepreneurial spirit. So they're, they're the drivers. That's the sort of, um, I guess, the, the magic mix that, that is the reason why we have a sort of an entrepreneurial um, bent in the country. And then as far as, you know, why you're successful, I think the fact that we've got a good education system, good, good support, and, and, and then that we also have, unlike, um, you know, I get, I get the sense when I talk to the majority of Americans, it's a lot more insular. I think I read somewhere that only, um, only 20%, 80% of Americans don't have a passport, for example, whereas I don't think that there would be, I don't think that there would, 80% of Australians would have a passport. So we, we think more internationally, partly because of our isolation and so on. So I think that they're probably some of the key reasons why, why we produce probably more good companies than we should is because people think globally and, and, and you know, there's a good education system and good pathways and an excellent uh, set of capital markets relative to the size of the economy. Listen, I would I would hope that they that you know 80% of Australians have a passport because 80% of Australians love to surf and the best surfing is in Indonesia. So you know that you got we gotta you know we gotta figure that out, of course. Uh, so Matt, love to get your opinion on this as well. You know what what have you seen as some misconceptions and uh, and then debunk some myths for us. Yeah, so I'd agree with everything Tony said. I think there's a, um, a strong focus on education, which means we get like some cool tech stuff get developed here and CSIRO and others that then get spun out. Um, another kind of factor, maybe because I'm an immigrant, but I think there's a, even more of an immigrant culture than in the US. And, you know, Australia is very much a nation of immigrants, I think. Um, there's, I think, 30% of Australians were born overseas, um, which is kind of like double the US ratio. So I think that keeps the country kind of younger and generally kind of hungrier and everything else. Um, and that global perspective. So I guess misconception about Australian companies is that they're Australian because I think they're really global. Like m almost all the companies I invest in are global businesses, um, kind of global niches to Connor's point is what I really like to find. Although if you can find a global that's not a niche, that's pretty good, but those are even rarer. Um, but yeah, I think just a, a very large share of, of revenue for you know most of the companies I look at is overseas. And I think that that's, um, you have to think global from day one because as Tony was saying earlier, like the market, isn't as big here, so it's just natural to, to think that way. Um, and then I think just kind of because it, uh, more old school guys probably like they think of it as just a mining place, like you think about the Aussie dollar driven by mining, et cetera. So I think there's a sense that there's like speculative miners and then there's a few big banks and that kind of thing. And it kind of misses all the good businesses in the middle that are just innovating and doing good stuff. So yeah, that's what interests me. I think that's what some of the drivers. And Matt, I'm going to come right back at you because there's one big thing that I know a lot of, uh, you know, high quality investors in, in the U.S. and North America are just that aren't used to investing in ASX. So help, help us understand uh, the, the typical capital structure, because I think most investors who may be watching this or maybe going to check out some of the presentations tomorrow, you know, they'll be like, oh, billion shares, what the... And this is a quality business. Like, what? What's going on? You know. So, so give, give us give us some understanding as to how this is actually a more more common uh, thing. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, Tony touched on it before. I don't know completely why, uh, you know, the drivers historically for it, but it is very common for companies to list um, around like 20 cents a share. That's just a common um, kind of denominator. Um, and so as a result, you just have a much larger share count. So that's one thing. But then <laughs> it's a lot easier to raise follow on rounds of capital here. So um, there's a lot more opportunity for um, placements and other ways that companies raise additional funds, which isn't as easy in the US in the primary um, listed markets, my understanding. You kind of need to go out and issue a whole other prospectus. It's a much bigger thing. Um, but here it's just very common. Like they're all the time capital raising, which I think you still need to watch out for it, but it isn't, you can't just look at share count number too much. Um, you need to look at, um, I guess, how much they're diluting and over time. It, it, I do still look at share count, but it's more like the rate of change over time. So um, I used to do like a TV show where people would just call in and I just, the first thing I'd look at whenever they named some dodgy stock is how's the share count trended over time? Um, and then has it ever made a profit and that ruled out like 80% of them probably, but um, then there's like a few gems. So I think that, I think you still need to think about that. I think also dividends are bigger here because we don't double tax dividends. So it's more common for like companies to use a dividend to return capital instead of a buyback. So that makes it a bit different. And again, means you're not eating yourself like the US companies um, with buybacks. So yeah, those, those things kind of combined. Um, I think, yeah, I think you just see, just yeah, it just looks different basically, but it's not actually necessarily that different. Right. And, and one other thing that we talked about on our prep call, um, when it comes to some of the advantages that retail investors have when looking at companies that are listed on the ASX is, and it's very similar to US and Canadian microcap market, is that there's less analytical coverage, um, as well as the access to management. It's usually quite responsive. So, uh, Confirm this for me if uh, if this if this is actually true, uh, Tony and Matt. And anybody would want to confirm this for me. Actually, you know, or Mike, anybody, go. Yeah. Well, it'd be probably better to go to uh, Michael for, for this. Obviously, I run a fund now that's got a reasonable uh, reasonable enough capital base, and that people can look me up and say, "Oh, he's serious," so they'll reply to me. But there was a time before I, I, I ran any decent amount of money where um, it, it was sort of the filter that I used to use. To be honest, is I. I I don't spend a lot of time bothering my management. I like to make my own decisions and, and I probably don't have quite as much um, management contact as a lot of investors uh, that look at the areas that I do. But with that said, um, I, I like to know that if I've got a question that I think is important that I'll get an answer back. So one of the first checks I do is to usually try and contact management um, before I start buying or you know, once I've decided that I like the company, I certainly want to understand well management and, you know, not having invested extensively um, in, in the US, I can't say if you're looking at a $100 million company, um, how often you would get a reply back if you send an email directly to the CEO. But in my experience, I would say it's at least eight out of 10 here, um, you know, within, within a, you know, a matter of a few days. So I think that they're, they're extremely responsive. And part of the reason will, will be um, what, what um, Matt said is that you know, they tend to probably raise capital a little bit more often and it's important to keep shareholders on side. So, um, yeah, so in, in my experience, the responsiveness of management is very, very good in the small cap end here. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's also reasonably easy to jump on an analyst call. Like that's, in and in I think as you get bigger in the ASX, it also happens, but also in the US, it's just like that's a, like its own secret little clubby world. Whereas here, that's often put, they put out the call details publicly and um, yeah, you can hear all sorts of questions get asked on analyst call. And I'm surprised more people don't do it because it's like a great opportunity where you, they can't really duck the question too much or avoid it. Um, 
and yeah, I think that's a, another opportunity if you're trying to meet with management is just join the analyst call and ask something. It, Very cool. It is the the the, down, the downside of that, by the way, is you just get some terrible questions. <laughs> yeah, that was I was going to say. Um, I don't want to be too um, rude, but yeah, you get some pretty loose so, questions. What I'm surprised about, as far as management goes, is that is that more managers just don't say that's a stupid question. And I'm not going to answer it because that would be my answer to about one in three questions on those public calls. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair fair question. Um, yeah, one, one question I'd have for the. Australian natives, I guess, would be, isn't there a pretty big sort of gambling culture uh, within Australia? Uh, and if so, like, how do, you, how do you think that impacts the market? Because one thing I've sort of witnessed from afar, uh, and you guys are free to debunk this if you want, but it seems like, you know, once, once a stock shows some, you know, growth potential, it can really go sort of bananas in Australia. Like people really jump on the hype train pretty quickly. You can get pretty big moves in a short amount of time, even more so it seems than in the U.S. And so I'm curious if, if one, you guys think that's uh, somewhat uh, hyper-driven in Australia? And if so, if that's related to sort of a, a deep gambling culture. Matt, Tony? Is it the native Australian, so it's Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we, we talked a little bit uh, in the, in the, in the pre-call. Um, it's Melbourne Cup Day today down here, which is called the race that stops a nation. So it's, it runs at three or five past three in the afternoon. Traditionally, everyone stops around midday and you have um, their workplaces, have events. And it's it's a massive day. And we talked about the fact that gambling losses per capita are about I think Singapore is second in the world, and from memory, I think we're about 50% ahead of Singapore. And it's basically Singapore and Australia, and then daylight the third. Um, so we're Wasn't so it far. Did you pull it up last time, Tony? It was like 1200 $1, It's $1,250 per adult. adult, I think it was, yeah. something like that. So it's a, it's a big number. And in, in, in this Melbourne Cup day today, and this, this probably doesn't compare to the betting turnover of, say, um, which will be great, either Kentucky Derby or something like that. But the betting turnover down here will probably be three or four hundred million dollars um, today. The, the first prize in the Melbourne Cup, eight million dollars, is a very big race. But um, yeah, we certainly do have a have a uh, gambling culture. And, and to Connor's point, that does lead to successful story stocks getting very big valuations. Sometimes there was a company um called it's called brain chip um, holdings it does, does some sort of artificial intelligence and they they made some uh, i'll just quickly pull up the chart here. they made some successful announcement and basically went from a 15 or 20 million dollar company to um to about a billion dollar valuation over the space of only a few weeks it was just crazy it's gone back down a long way um, so did they raise a lot of capital I don't think they took the opportunity, to be honest. Yeah, they went from about three cents a share in March to sixty-eight cents a share in, in uh, September. So, but um, the the bulk of that rise uh, rise happened from the end of May, it was seven cents to seventy cents. So it went up tenfold in the space of only a couple of months on on a couple of announcements that didn't sort of generate revenue. It sort of showed some potential. Now, I mean, you guys would get that a lot in North America as well, but um, you know, some, of, some of what happens down here is crazy. I mean, it happens everywhere in capital markets, I suppose. Yeah, I'd completely agree. <laughs> um, I think that, that I think we're, so the opportunities are to get in before that happens and maybe sell if it gets too crazy. You might, might, might sometimes you do need to sell. You can't just do the never sell stuff. But um, the other is just when it busts. So often you'll get something super hyped when it's pre-revenue gets like 
burns everybody terribly. It's like 95% down, but then maybe it raised capital somewhere along the journey to Connor's point, and then it still exists. And then, you know, a couple of years later, they figure out an actual business and then everyone's like, well, I'm not touching that thing that set my money on fire. I mean, you can get a new management team and stuff, turn that around. So I think kind of tech turnarounds can be interesting as well. But yeah, I think there's definitely like a, the speculative side spills over to everything else. Yeah, you know, for me, I was just curious, like, because we talked about compliance and how the ASX has gotten way better. And, and uh, you know, every publicly listed ASX company has to submit their news before it, it goes out. You know, um, who takes who takes the liability really on that? You know, like, uh, do they, does, does the ASX always have to say something along the lines of we do not take responsibility for this news being put out? Like, how do they, if they're going to be there to approve approve the news going out from some of these companies like how do they what's their checks like how do they make sure some of this stuff is actually happening it might be a dumb question i don't know it could be a dumb question there's quite an aggressive litigation funding um, um sector in australia there's a, there's a big business in, in the uk called burford's and there's one out here called imf Bentham that fund litigation and one of the big um, so it tends to be the, the company and the directors and officers insurance policy that's on the hook really. The ASX is a, is a, is a safeguard. And then we have ASIC, which is our equivalent of your SEC, that also, um, they're considered much like the SEC, I think a relatively toothless tiger. They occasionally issue fines and, you know, they sort of, they're a government body, so they chase their own tail without any great deal of success. They, they try to pr prosecute. They seem to pick the wrong cases to try and prosecute and then the ones that should have been prosecuted go through um, and, 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 and never end up, um, you know, the people who should end up in jail never end up in jail. So, but yeah, there's, there's that, I think it ultimately ends up being, well, theoretically it should be the directors. Directors very rarely go to jail, but occasionally um, directors and officers insurance policies end up paying out big, um, big payments based on litigation. Um, funded litigations that sort of um, go after that, that pool of money. Gotcha. All right. Well, Matt, did you want to add something to that real quick before I, I get to my next uh, question? No, I'd, I'd agree. I think um, although they might review some, there's still a lot of stuff to get through just because there's so many companies. Um, I think at a certain point, companies get more like scrutiny and they get more closely reviewed. So there have even been public battles where a company like complains that they're not allowed to put out an announcement because the ASX won't let them. It's a pretty negative sign normally. Um, and to those like lawsuits, there was a company get swift that got pretty crazy and actually raised 100 million at the top to connor's point and now they're kind of like a cash box waiting for the lawsuit to settle <laughs> to see how much of that cash they're actually going to keep um yeah so i think it's i think it's still hard to police um just um, i think that's why you need to do your own research very good all right so now this is my favorite question to ask this entire panel today and uh, i hope everybody has a story prepared so um my question is to the whole panel, you know, what ASX investing experience impacted you the most? And did that experience shape your current ASX investing strategy? Don't worry, Connor, I'll come to you last. So you get, you can think of, you know, think of a, a good story. But uh, so Mike, I'm going to come to you first and then uh, we'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll shout out the next person. Yeah, sure. So um, I actually do have a story and it's segues perfectly with what we were just talking about. I've only really majorly invested in two ASX stocks and both of them at one point um, for an inexplicable reason rose by over 50% on just news of a partnership. And it, was, it wasn't it was like hype, but it wasn't nearly that important. 
um, in my opinion, to the business. So, you know, because it was like, a, it was a partnership. There was no financial terms or anything. It was just like, you know, we're working with this company. That's, that's great, but not spectacular. Um, and definitely didn't, you know, affect the company to the extent that the share price rose. So that just kind of cemented in my mind, you know, this idea that like Australian stocks do seem to move on. Um, you could call it like hype. You could call it more like qualitative um, factors rather than, you know, anything that actually impacts the financial state of the company. Like in the U.S., if you put in an, out an announcement, the only way it's going to move the stock is if it will directly impact your financial statements materially in the next 12 months. Like if, the, if that doesn't happen, generally the stock probably won't move on the announcement. Um, but that's definitely not the case on Australia. So it's just more qualitative, which, you know, also sort of means that it's a little more, I feel like investors are a little more long-term in Australia, long-term oriented. So, you know, a bad quarter is not going to tank the stock. Um, something that impacts financials in the short term isn't necessarily going to tank the stock if the qualitative story is still there. So in a way it's beneficial, you know, you don't get killed by just, you know, a superfluous bad quarter or something like that. Um, and you know, it's, you can, you can focus more on the qualitative long-term, which is, I think what a lot of us look into too, you know, when you're talking about a great business, it's not like just numbers, it's a qualitatively good business. If you have a qualitatively good business in Australia, um, at least in theory, uh, with how much Australians focus on, you know, the more the story than the, um, the financials at any point in time, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty good to but to to do that kind of research, that kind of qualitative great company research. Very good. So, Tony. Uh, well, I've had a lot of lessons as far as um, um, you know, businesses that didn't work out all that well. But to, one of the best lessons I think I've had in, in terms of the, the effect of quality management on a, on a, on a business is. A stock that I bought for my fund in 2012 and still own to this day, just to be clear, I still own the stock. I think it's about our fourth or fifth largest holding is a company called Dicker Data. And I bought that business in um, 2012, late 2012. It was a pretty traditional value stock at that point. I, I bought it at, um, you know, I think it was probably about eight times earnings. It had some reasonable growth and it IPO'd about 18 months earlier. It actually doubled since IPO. It was the first time in my history ever as an investor that I bought the all-time highs. I started buying it. So we did, we talk about um, number of shares on this year. We'd IPO'd at 20 cents and, and, the, and the founder and his ex-wife still own 95% of the stock at that stage. And, and about four of the 5% went to um, other um, employees of the business. So there was a tiny, really tiny free, free float of that business. It was sort of what, what we call a compliance listing effectively here. And so I started buying the stock at 40.5 cents and I bought it over the course of about four months all the way up to 55 cents. And I was responsible for about half of the buying at that time. My fund was very small. It was not a great, it's, it, it was not, it is not a great business. So it's a distribution business. They distribute um, um, IT, you know, um, computers and hardware and they've got a software um, distribution element now. It's subsequent to that, and this is the lesson, um, they just executed and executed and executed in a, in a business that's low margin, so their average um, their average gross margin is less than 10%, uh, their MPAT margin, net profit after tax margin, at the time I invested might have been 3%, might be up to 4 or 4.5% now, so it's a tough business. 
And the, the good, strong competitors, it's two major competitors here are uh, Synex, who are US listed, and um, Ingram Micro, who's also another US listed. So they've got two major um, gorillas that they compete with. And just through being very, very good, it was just the key lesson to me in terms of that was, um, was just the quality of um, management is so important in small cap. It wasn't a small cap anymore. It's a billion and a half or something dollar valuation now. But, but um, it's, and the, it's such a difficult business. And, and I've tried to replicate that success by buying other distribution businesses because I've seen how successful they can be when you've got this distribution platform and you just pump and you add, add additional um, uh, verticals to that distribution platform. You get enormous earnings growth from that. But I just haven't seen anyone else able to replicate it the same way. And uh, Vlad Mikovetsky, this um, COO, and uh, Mary Stostrovsky, the uh, CFO, have just done a spectacular job for the eight years I've owned that business. And as a consequence, their multiples now 20 times versus the eight times I bought it at. So I had that big advantage. But the great majority of all of the money we made out of that um, business was because they've grown their earnings so much through that period. Very good. Thank you, Tony. And and Matt, what what experiences impacted you the most? Um, I'll cheat a little and give two because they kind of work together, I guess. The first was when I was about 18 or 19 and um, invested in a speculative mining company and um, blew up what to me was a lot of money at the time and really realized I didn't have a clue what I was doing and never touched anything speculative since then. I kind of That led me on the path, I guess, to kind of discover value investing and everything else, learning learning more about what I was doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think that was a, like a big impact to avoid all of the downside. And then I guess a few years ago, investing in a few companies that went on to went on to do pretty well, like went on to do kind of multi-bagger returns, but at a fundamental level as well. So one I've written about, a2 Milk um, that we still I still hold today, but um, it was I think the best performing stock of the decade or something by, by one MSCI index, and it was just a it's just a um, just a branded milk company basically, um, but you know a marketing company effectively. And I think um, I think it did when I was first buying shares, it was something like 500 million market cap, um, and now today they do something like 500 million of EBIT um, a year and have like. 250 million of cash or something like that. Um, and it just showed how, I guess, a business that isn't necessarily complex, like I invest in a lot of technology, but it's not about that. It's more about the business model itself, like super capital light, well-managed. Um, yeah, just how much it can compound value, I guess. And there's a couple of other examples, some of which uh, Connor caught in his, his multi-bagger analysis of um, Australia um, that kind of yeah reinforce that it's possible, I guess, that it's possible to have something that's not just running up of valuations that other people are willing to pay more like a fundamental level and that's where i focus all my energy now so i don't get any anything in the speculative side um just purely can the business deliver it itself and i don't know that that gives me some some rock to stand on i guess when i look at these businesses that was a good pun for you know it was a mining experience a good rock to stand on i saw what you did there man that was good <laughs> so all right. So, so Connor, close us out. You know, what, what, what ASX investing experience impacted you the most and what'd you learn from it? I had a few, um, both positive and negative. Um, but I'll, I'll just bring one up from, from this year we were involved in, uh, points bet, uh, which has, you know, it's an online gambling related name. Uh, and it really just reinforced all of the, uh, crazy gambler stereotypes I have about Australia. 
Uh, kidding, kind of. Uh, so, I mean, this is a gambling-related stock, right? It started the year um, close to, uh, whatever, four bucks a share or so, went up to six bucks. In March, went you know significantly below $2. Um, now it's above 10. You know, obviously there's been a lot of volatility in the market since then, but like this was trading, it's gone from like trading at near cash levels um, in, in March to uh, now trading at a, a pr- pretty, you know, pretty healthy valuation. And so, um, and obviously it's a gambling related name. So it's, it's even more ironic, I guess, but yeah, you know, I, I've just found that some of these names react very differently to fundamental news than um, even the U.S. market, which some people would say is has its own share of euphoria. But um, you know, you, you have to understand that mindset in in how how you think a company will react to news, how you think about the multiples that will will be placed on businesses in a variety of fundamental scenarios, and uh, you know, you have to be ready for the volatility because. Um, uh, there tends to be a lot of it. Yeah. You know what, dude, I'm going to throw it right back at you for our final question of the panel today. And uh, it, you kind of already hit on it a little bit. So that's why I figured we'd compound there. Oh, so shoot. I said the C word. Oh my God. I, I, I take it back, you know, but uh, uh, you know, Connor, for those listening in that are looking for ASX exposure, what would you recommend to North American retail investors? Um. Well, you know, uh, I would really probably recommend they go read Makings of a Multibagger because it's a great analysis of some, I'm, I'm kidding, uh, speak my own book here. But, you know, look, I, I don't pretend to be like an Australian expert. You know, we look for the highest quality businesses around the globe. We've spent, you know, probably our, our fair share of time in Australia, um, but probably not uh, an Australia specific expert like some of the other people on the panel. But um, I would just say for any market, whether it be Australia or anything else, uh, to really um, try to sort of put yourself in, in the minds of, of, of someone there, uh, really study a lot of the leading companies, understand the trends and the mentality. Every geography is different, has a different consumer, has have different sort of trends. Like one thing I've learned over time is like the different connection that Australia has with China and like how that relationship has, has evolved over time, given sort of the, the geographic uh, proximity in terms of, you know, uh, Chinese consumers really favoring a lot of Australian branded products. Uh, you know, A2 Milk was just mentioned, which is a, a great example of that. But, um, you know, there, there are always, always these sort of cultural differences, which as an outsider, if you don't take the time to really learn, you might, uh, you might come to the wrong conclusions um, and, and overlook some really powerful underlying trends. But, you know, look, I think volatility is always an opportunity for the long-term focused investor. And so, you know, if people are making these wild swings in, in valuation, uh, that's, you know, for a long-term disciplined investor, that, that should be an opportunity. Very good. All right, Matt, what about you? For those listening in, looking for ASX exposure, what would you recommend yeah, to North America? Yeah, I'd agree office? with everything Connor said. I think um, I think just being extremely picky, I guess, um, you know, there, there can be wild swings. Don't just look at the most recent price movement and get too caught up with that. Like, just be very picky of the fundamentals of the business. Um, I wrote an article sometime... Um, uh, earlier this year, I guess, felt like a long time ago. I'm um, just talking about how there's like 2,000 listed companies here, but most of them are not very good. But then there's a few that are. And I just think turning over a lot of rocks, really focusing on the fundamentals. I guess that applies anywhere. I just think it applies even more maybe in Australia, just given that there's a lot, as the guys talked about, that you can get a story stock just flying way too high. 
Um, so yeah, I think just just being super picky. And then, um, as we touched on earlier on the convo, like trying to speak with management because you can get that access even as a small investor. I feel like if you're calling from the US, I think um, we tend to like think that means something pretty big, like uh, US investors calling must be like a pretty huge fund or something. So probably even better opportunity. Um, and I think that getting to know management, are they basically, are they trustworthy? Like, are they, um, I think skip, if you just skip, if you just, just invest in ASX companies that aren't run by like dodgy people, then I think you're probably going to like beat the benchmarks pretty well. So that'd be my advice. I like that. But uh, so uh, our, Tony, uh, same question to you. Uh, what, for those listening in uh, that are looking for ASX exposure, what would you recommend to North American retail investors? Well, I think uh, my uh, call dropped out, so I didn't hear Matt's answer. So hopefully, I don't say exactly the same thing. But I would, I would um, spend my time researching very carefully and really understanding what you're doing. It's um, you know, there. There are a number of companies that have executed on very, very big opportunities down here and you know, outstanding returns. But because of that early stage um, venture sort of uh, mindset, you know, there's, there's a lot of companies that probably come out a bit too early and maybe aren't quite mature enough in their business model. So really spend the time understanding what you're doing. And, uh, and if you're going to look at the more, you know, if you're going to play the, at the sort of more speculative uh, micro cap end, the, the ones that are a little bit, you know, maybe not pre-revenue, but very early in their revenue, journey it's just to appropriately size your positions there in case something goes wrong but um yeah one of, one of the one of the biggest changes in the way that i invest is whereas probably five or eight years ago i used to uh, spend a lot of time looking at the uh, 52 week lows um i spend more time these days looking at what's running at a 52 week high and why might that be um so is it sometimes it's worth waiting for Proof of execution. This is one of the things that I've learned as an investor in, in the micro cap space is that rather than sort of going too early, you better have to wait until de demonstrated execution. Sometimes you can pay twice as much for a stock and have it be a better investment. Is and uh, I think that that's a useful thing to to uh, remember when you when you're investing in uh, micro caps. Very good, Tony. Now, Michael, close us out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with um, every everything that's been said. Um, I think like with any investment, it's, you know, you just got to jump in at some point. It's not too hard. There's not too many like barriers to entry or anything to researching and buying Australian microcaps. You can pull up the filings from the company's website or some like aggregation databases. Um, and the, the accounting is a little bit different, but unless you get into the weeds, it's, it's basically the exact same thing. Um, and a lot of Australian companies put out presentations and stuff, so it's very professional. Um, so you can get to know the story of companies pretty quickly. Um, but I would say, you know, if you don't want to go through all that hassle, the much simpler way is to just invest with Tony or Matt, which I know neither of them will say themselves. Uh, but that's probably the best way to get Australian exposure, I'd say. That's that was good. That was unsolicited, everybody. So uh, that that's that's <laughs> that's good stuff right there. All right. So with that. Um, we're going to, we got to close it out with, uh, I need everybody to give, you know, where, where people can find more information about you and follow you on social media. But with that, you know, we need some names of some of the ponies that are racing today so that we can give our uh, completely unresearched picks as to who's going to win the Melbourne cup. So, uh, Matt and Tony, you guys have to go first because then you have to name a few of the horses and then we'll, we'll choose which one. 
we think we'll win. So uh, I'm going to pass it off to Tony. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I gave up my speculative life a while ago. Um, but I, I would I would normally have a flutter. I guess it's just been all the lockdowns and stuff. It doesn't feel like a normal Melbourne Cup day. Normally, you'd be kind of gathering around and having a couple of beers. But yeah, I don't know. Tony, do you know any any names for these guys? Oh, you're on mute. Uh, I just gave you the winner. He's on mute. You did. I know. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. um, I've only heard two names out of the field. I I, I said to you guys, I've got to call at um, 12 o'clock and then I'm probably going to the TAB, which is the Totalizer Agency Board. It's the gambling. And I'll go down and actually spend some time looking at the field. But um, there's a a horse that ran second last year. I see there's been a scratching. So there's only 23. So it's much easier to pick this year. Only 23 runs. There's a horse that came second last year, which has a female jockey, um, um, which is highly unusual. She's coming out of barrier one called Prince of Iran, um, which looked pretty good to me just hearing the story last night. But I, I, I wouldn't uh, recommend betting based on that. I've got to go and do a little bit more work before I make my final decision. Very good time. There's, there, there's a very good, um, if you look online, if you're, if, if, if they're interested, um, the, um, the Macquarie Quantitative, um, Macquarie is one of our big investment banks here. They have a quantitative team that does a um, some sort of quantitative analysis, and they've got a very good record of picking. They usually give five names, and so they they, they pick the trifecta a number a number of times. So they've got quite a good record. It might be worth spending time looking at uh, what they've come up with. Uh, I'll just type it into the thing. I know. I'm looking, I was. I literally was working right now. But here, real quick, while we go and search that, Connor, Michael, where can our audience go and find more information about you guys and uh, follow you guys on social media and the like? So, uh, Connor, you first. Sure. So it's uh, altafoxcapital.com, spelled just like it sounds. Uh, and then on Twitter, it's just at altafoxcapital. Keeping it simple for you. Very good, Michael. Yeah, um, on Twitter, I'm uh, Michael2017L. And uh, for the fund I'm working for, uh, it's if.capital is the website. Very good. Thanks, Michael. And, uh, and and Matt, you know, while Tony is looking for the website, you know, where can our audience go and find more information about you? Um, yeah, so mavenfunds.com.au. And then on Twitter, it's um, at Matt Joss. And uh, yeah, if any American invest, microcap investors are looking at any ASX stocks and want to chat about it, I'm always game for a, a chat. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out. Very cool. And, and Tony, who's our, who are their top five picks? I'm only finding their 2019 picks. It looks like I haven't seen the announcement yet. Um, keep your eye on, on, on Twitter. The AFR usually publish it when it comes out of the Australian Financial <laughs> Review. So. Um, uh, Put it all on uh, Prince of Iran. That's what I heard, Tony. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> so as far as finding finding me, uh, my uh, Twitter handles at EGP Tony, and that's because my uh, company is EGP Capital, and so my um, website's egpcapital.com.au. And uh, much like uh, much like Matt, microcaps are a funny, you know. Uh, you know, small um, investor in small companies. And so I do uh, like to sort of um, discuss ideas with other, with other people. I find it you know, useful. Everyone has a different view on these things. So I'm certainly open to uh, receiving an email, my contact details, or receiving a direct message on Twitter. I'm always open to direct messages. I'm happy to hear someone's idea and why they like a, why they like a stock. Very good. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you all individually or together again for uh, for next year uh, very soon. So uh, thank you all for doing this. And uh, yeah, Melbourne Cup. Let's go. Let's go watch, you know. So uh, th- thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.